thanks for checking out this message from Springmount Church. For more information about us and what we do, visit our website, springmount.church. Why not check out all the different groups that run throughout each week in Barrow and on Walney? And join us every Sunday from 11am at Salt House Pavilion in Barrow Infernos. If you would like us as a church to pray for you, please email prayer at springmount.church or sign up on our website for monthly news straight to your inbox. Great. Well, if it's your first time here, welcome. Uh, if it's not, then welcome. Um, but also, just uh, we're going through a series on the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, it's not the easiest of books. It's, uh, it's quite a tested one. And uh, it's quite serious in a lot of places. But before we get into there... If you've got a Bible, we're going to be looking at the end of chapter one and the rest of chapter two. Uh, those of you who know me, I love a, a pun or a bit of wordplay because it's quite clever, isn't it? You know, I love a joke. So this week, one of my favourite jokes has been that uh, I've had to scrap uh, the dating agency for chickens that I've set up because I've been struggling to make hens meat. So, uh, so there you go. It's clever, isn't it? It's clever. The other one was Ross came home from work and said, three women at work have been given flowers this week and they're absolutely gorgeous. I said, that's probably why. So, you know, so the word plays good. You know, clever things. Here's a, here's a clever one. Or oh, this is one that you'll all know. So to start, set you off gently. So how does Moses make his tea? He brews it. Very good. Yeah, yeah. What rhymes with orange? No, it doesn't. Uh, <laughs> I've got to be funny at the beginning because there's not a lot of fun in the rest of the story. Do you like that one? Okay. Yeah. What about... Um, 16 sodium atoms is a chemistry joke. Walk into a bar, who comes in next? Anyone? No. Batman. Na 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 Batman. Sodium is NA for those of you who don't know. But it's clever, isn't it? You know, a man is talking to God. God says, he says, God, how long is a million years? And God says to me, it's about a minute. He says, well, God, how much is a million pounds? He says, well, to me, it's a penny. So God, may I have a penny? God says, wait a minute. Okay. So, you know, if you had brains, money and power, what would you do with it? Wisdom and cleverness are different things. You know, being clever is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. But being wise is not putting it in a fruit salad. Okay? Because actually, wisdom is doing something with what you know. And if you had wisdom today, what would you do with it? Maybe you'll say, but Johnny, I have got wisdom. I'm very wise. Well, good. We might need you to, to help us then, if that's the case. I'm going to try it all, says Solomon, or the writer of Ecclesiastes. I'm going to try it all. Wisdom, brains, power, money. I'm going to try all these things to see if it makes life worth living. Let's read the verses in the Scriptures today. It's quite a long reading, so we're reading from chapter 1, verse 12 of Ecclesiastes, and for those of you who haven't got a Bible, it will come up on the screen. Remember the word meaningless? We talked about it last week. It literally means smoke, breath. Something that's real, but it's very difficult to grab hold of. And that's what he discovers. So, Ecclesiastes 1 verse 12 says this. I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. 
Tough words to find in the Bible, isn't it? What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. There's a few things we need to remember as we go through this passage. You won't remember it all. Chasing after the wind is the first one. It's like chasing the wind. And then he goes on to say the second thing I really want us to remember. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. Chapter two, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. And in all this, my wisdom stayed with me. The next bit's quite key as well. Verse 10, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labour, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly. What more can the king's successor do than what has already been done? I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise have eyes in their heads while the fool walks in the darkness, but I came to realise that the same fate overtakes them both. Then I said to myself, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise, I said to myself. This too is meaningless. For the wise, like the fool, will not be long remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it's meaningless, a chasing after the wind. He's a happy bloke, isn't he, whoever's writing this. It is thought to be Solomon. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish, yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. Are you still with me, everybody? <laughs> so my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labour under the sun. For a person may labour with wisdom, knowledge and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving which they labour under the sun? All their days, their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. 
There's hope, okay? The very last bit says this. A person, this is the conclusion from these questions. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Now you can see why I started out with some jokes, okay? Okay, because some of you now will be thinking, right, I'm going to turn off for the next 15 minutes because it's just going to be all my days. But a couple of little things to notice is this. Solomon was the king. He had inherited a kingdom that was at its biggest it had ever been. He'd inherited something huge. He'd also inherited a kingdom that was at peace. There was peace. There was no fighting. There was no wars at this point in time. It was all peaceful. He'd inherited those things. He'd inherited wealth. David, his dad, had spent the last years of his life collecting gold, silver and timber so that Solomon could really build the place up. So Solomon had it all before he was even born. He had it all as far as the world's concerned. What an opportunity. Who, who would love an opportunity to start out with so much? Yeah? Some of us think, no. There's, there's people, I've read people, stories of multimillionaires who in their wills have said to their children, you're not getting any of it because I want you to start how I started, not just have it and take it for granted. You read that and you go, that's a bit harsh. But actually I can understand their thinking actually they might just squander it. That's what Solomon is writing about here. A couple of points we need to look at before we even go any further. Solomon had the opportunity to study because he didn't need to work that hard. He had everything. So he had the opportunity to watch the world around him, to see what was going on and to study all the paths that he was being told would lead to life. That he had the time to invest. He could look at everything possible that was on offer and say, this is a good path to take, or this isn't a good path to take. He had no financial worries. He had no wars to distract him. He didn't have to work. He had people to serve him everywhere. And he says, it led nowhere. He says it led nowhere. Second thing, straight away, he gives the answer, if you like, before sharing the search. He said, I'm going to look down these paths, but I'm telling you now, they were meaningless. I've done it. They're pointless. They're smoke. They're breath. They're, no, they're chasing the wind. Have you ever tried chasing the wind? Anyone? Aaron, you might want to go and chase the wind and then take it in there with you because then you can release it and it can fly around. Okay? If we could do that, that would be great. Even a fan in your room doesn't do anything really, does it? It's not like the cool breeze of the evening. And actually, chasing the wind, even if you go after the wind and cup your hands... It's not wind anymore because it's stopped. Okay? So chasing the wind is a bit pointless. I remember going uh, as a young lad with my family, went to America, and we ended up in San Francisco. And I have never experienced kite flying like I experienced on a park in San Francisco. They were selling these Chinese, and they were simply just like a semicircle of what looked like cling film. <laughs> and actually, they, with a very little effort, they flew hundreds of feet up into the air. Actually, all you need to do is stand there and it went and you just you un, you un, uh, unrolled the wire 
And basically, this kite just went higher and higher and higher. For some reason, the wind was perfect there, and you could almost feel like you'd caught the wind because this kite would fly. Took it over to Manchester, landed it on top of the monument in Worsley Park where it stayed forever. Well, there we go. But Solomon blames God for his situation. He blames God for his disappointment. He blames God for his frustration. Even though he's got everything, he blames God. Verse 15, he says this, everything is crooked. Nothing can be counted. Everything is crooked. Who likes doing jigsaws? Yeah? Okay, Joel's a little bit OCD with jigsaws. We went away one new year with Shirley, and they both like jigsaws. Joel stayed up one night to finish it so that Shirley couldn't get up in the morning to put pieces in. Because <laughs> he he's such a control freak. That's right, isn't it? It was the last day, yeah, that's what you say. You just didn't want anyone else doing it because you've got your system, okay? So Barbara and Shirley, here's a question for you, okay? 500-piece jigsaw, how many pieces are in the box? No, no, how many pieces? When you open that brand-new jigsaw box, 500-piece jigsaw box, how many pieces are in the box? Do you want to shout loud so we can all hear you? I can tell you're not confident because you know it's a trick question. How many pieces are in that box? 500, Barbara's saying 499. Any advance of 500, 500, 500, 500, 500, 500, 500, 500, 500, 500, 500, 500, 500, 500, 500, 500, 500, 500, 500, 500, 500, there are 1,026 pieces on average. So the box lies to you. Even when you've got a thing in front of you that says this is a 500-piece jigsaw, no, it isn't. Now, Barbara and Shirley and anyone else, I know some people are going to go home today and they are going to count. <laughs> they are going to count how many pieces of a jigsaw they've got in their box. That's an average, okay? So that means on average, generally speaking, the box tells you lies. Solomon was right. Everything's crooked. Even the makers of jigsaw puzzles lie to you. It's crooked. It doesn't fit. Imagine that you get down to one last piece of that jigsaw, that final piece, and it doesn't go in the hole. How frustrating is that? Anyone be annoyed by that? Yeah? One space left, one piece left. You've got everything in the right place other than this one piece, and it won't go in. That is the picture that Solomon is giving. Obviously, he didn't know about jigsaws, so don't, don't quote me and say Solomon did jigsaws, okay? But this is the picture he's using. Everything is crooked. It doesn't fit. In life, the final piece just doesn't fit. It can't be made straight. We've often, uh, when we built the football cage outside, some of the bolts were bent. You've got to line up three holes, stick a straight bolt through those three holes, and oh my days, it was so annoying. Because it wasn't straight, it didn't fit. You had to do something with brute force. Solomon says, life just doesn't fit. He says, God, why have you made it like this so that things don't fit? God, why have you created such a way that actually it doesn't work? God, why? You know, that's the right question to ask, isn't it? But he's also the right person to ask. God, why? God, why? A man who seemingly has everything you could ask for and has tried every way of life that is available to find satisfaction and contentment, but still hasn't got everything he hoped for. 
Sounds familiar? Sounds familiar in life? Maybe with us? Disillusioned, he's old, he's discontented. He does come to a conclusion, so we won't leave it there. The third area he addresses is his achievements. He bigs up his achievements. There are three areas that he looks at in his search that everybody today could file under life. Okay, I'm going to give you three E's. That's words beginning with E, not a dodgy substance, Adam. Okay, just so you know. The first E he talks about is enlightenment. The second E he talks about is enjoyment, any thrill possible. The third E is enrichment. So you've got enlightenment, learning, education or experience, wisdom, enjoyment, any thrill or pleasure possible. Enrichment, acquiring things or doing things or donating things to others to feel better. That's enrichment. Maybe some of us are on one or two of those roads ourselves. Maybe we can recognise we're on the road to enjoyment. We just want to enjoy our lives. We just enjoy things. Maybe we want enlightenment. We want to study and study and study and study. But Solomon's conclusion, the teacher says, I'm going to go down all three of these roads in the search for meaning, for search for fulfilment. And at the end he says, all of them are dead ends. Quite literally, dead ends. Do you know, we do not need this morning to have lives that lead down a dead end. Your life does not need to end in death. Your life doesn't need to go down a cul-de-sac where there's no turning back. It needs to go down a road that goes on for eternity with Jesus. So the three things, he talks about wisdom and knowledge. Solomon asked God for wisdom at the beginning of his reign. 1 Kings chapter 4, verses 29 to 34, says this about Solomon and God. It says, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. That's pretty much, isn't it? It's a big amount. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the East and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else. He sounds like Donald Trump, doesn't he? But anyway, no, sorry. I don't get political. He was wiser than anyone else, including Ethan the Ezraite, wiser than He-Man. <laughs> anyway, we won't go there. Wiser than Kalkol and Dada, the sons of Mahol. And he's, I don't know who they are, so he must have been wiser because I know who Solomon is. His fame spread to all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs numbered 1,005. That's a back catalogue and a half, isn't it? He spoke about plant life from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of walls. He also spoke about animals and birds, reptiles and fish. From all nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom, sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. He had all that. But what did he want? More. It wasn't enough. Wisdom wasn't enough. He had all of that. He was famous because he was so wise. But he still wasn't satisfied. You know, somebody once said, we know more and more about less and less. Is that true? We know more and more today about less and less. There's a guy called Thomas Midgley. Has anyone ever heard of Thomas Midgley? You heard of Thomas Midgley? Oh, I'm very impressed. Well done. See if it's the same one. Okay. <laughs> Thomas, Midgley, Thomas Midgley first became famous because of his ingenious idea to make engines run more smoothly. What was it he did? He added lead. 
great and clever inventor. He wanted an engine to run smoothly, so he added lead to petrol. And it's only recently, in my lifetime, that we've taken it out again. For his work, he received the Nichols Medal from the American Chemical Society and also a nasty case of lead poisoning. His workers were dead, poisoned, hallucinated because of the additive manufacturing process. He was very wise, very clever, very smart, but actually he did something really stupid. But that wasn't all Thomas Midgley did. Because in the 1920s, he decided to look at air conditioning and refrigeration. What do you think he did next? He added CFCs. <laughs> the whole reason for the hole in the ozone layer. This man, single-handedly, it seems, has brought about death and destruction to our planet. But he was trying to do good. He added CFCs to deodorants and, and air conditioning and stuff and, 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 and caused massive problems. They were toxic flammable, explosive, resulted in serious illness, injury and death. And actually, he was on that team. He was awarded for that work, the Perkin Medal in 1937, and this time personally himself he remained unpoisoned. He got awards for destruction because at the time, they didn't know anything about them. But that wasn't all Thomas Midgley did. Is this the Thomas Midgley you know? Oh, very good, okay. So far, so terrible. After single-handedly introducing two of the biggest pollutants of the 20th century, poor Thomas contracted a disease called poliomyelitis, which left him severely disabled. He was a very clever, resourceful inventor. So Thomas Midgley decided to invent an elaborate pulley system to help him move. Unfortunately, Thomas became entangled in the system and died as a result of strangulation. Poor Thomas Midgley. But he was a clever guy. He was wise. But it literally ended in a dead end. And actually, most of us have never heard his name. Most of us haven't heard him, even though he's done some amazing things. You know, Solomon, who was one of the cleverest people who has ever lived, said... I was awake at night in this, I'm paraphrasing, I found myself lying awake at night having my mind kept awake because I knew too much. My mind was so teased with the questions I hadn't answered because I wanted to know more and more. You know, computers are more and more complex with bigger memories. Computers are, are thriving, aren't they? Do you know, what happens to that knowledge when we get to the end of our lives? Most of it's gone. Most of it will be lost. Nobody will remember the amazing things that go on in my head. You'll be very thankful for, okay? So he goes from the chase of enlightenment to the chase of pleasure, from the head to the heart, although some situations they can be interlinked. Solomon lived in the centre of vineyards, so he drank and probably was very merry, very often. It's said that he slept with 1,300 women, 300 of whom he married. That's 300 mother-in-laws. <laughs> Sorry, Carol. He lived the life. He lived the life. Whatever he wanted, he took it. He didn't deny himself anything. He didn't put anything to one side. Whatever he wanted, he took it and he had it. And looking back, he realises the more you seek it out, the less pleasure you actually have. The more you seek down that route on its own, the less 
you actually have. We can look at addiction for that and see that's so true. The more you seek out that pleasure that you think is going to satisfy, the more it destroys. It wasn't all sex and drinking that he took part in. It was culture and music and parks, projects and fruit trees, animals and farming. He sounds like a bit of a David Attenborough character when you read that passage. He knew everything about birds, plants, animals. He denied himself nothing and he didn't stop being wise. He says, my mind was still active. So he wasn't throwing himself into addiction. He was still thinking and aware of what he was doing. He didn't throw life away. He gave himself to these things, but he didn't give himself to them, if you like. Or he gave these things to himself, sorry. He didn't give himself to those things. There's a difference. He gave those things to himself, but he didn't give himself to those things. But he found there was no real lasting joy. He says laughter becomes melancholy, laughter becomes sadness and madness and depression, even with everything he took. And he says, the chase of pleasure, it's like chasing after the wind. You can't catch it, you just want more. You just want more. Verses 10 to 11, I think are key to this whole passage. It says this, I denied myself nothing, my heart took delight, and when I surveyed all I have, those are the three things I want us to remember as we come towards the end this morning. I denied myself nothing, my heart took delight, and when I surveyed. The third way mentioned is enrichment, the spending of resources to gain something that will last. There's a Chinese proverb that says, if you want to be remembered, write a book, build a house, plant a tree, or have a son. Ah, oh, might not be remembered for the right things though, but hey. These might last beyond your lifetime. That's what it says. Solomon did all these things in a spectacular way. The Queen of Sheba heard about it from a long way away and had to travel hundreds of miles to see it for herself. That was unique. That just didn't happen. A queen from some other nation came to visit because she'd heard of Solomon's wealth, his wisdom, his stuff. But even when she got there, she said... I haven't been told the half. It was that good. He had stuff. He had loads of stuff. He built and acquired things for himself, but also for his nation, the world around him. He made Israel greater still. Maybe he had caps with migs written on them, making Israel greater still. But looking back on this amazing achievement, what does he say? What does he say? He says, I hate my life. I hate what I've seen. He's not satisfied, he's not content. He was aggrieved. He was despaired. Why? Three reasons. One, because he was just repeating what others had done before him and hadn't moved forwards. Joe, you can't visit Solomon's temple really today, can you? No. No. Even though it was so grand, you can't. The Colosseum in Rome, amazing place. Anyone been? I'm very jealous. But is it falling down? Yeah. Leaning Tower of Pisa, that's definitely falling down. Because it used to probably just called the Tower of Pisa. Now it's called the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Anyone been to the Hanging Gardens of Babylon? No, you can't. Machu Picchu, you can go there, but the limiting, limiting visitors now because it's being destroyed. Furnace Abbey. <laughs> yeah. But it's falling down because nothing that we build can last forever. They are symbols of greatness, but they are crumbling, aren't they? And many of us are building our lives towards those great things, amazing places to be. But actually, he was aggravated that these things wouldn't last. 
Secondly, he was aggravated because he would have to leave it all behind. You know, death is a great leveller, isn't it? There's a picture on Facebook I've seen where it's got a palace and a hovel, and it says the rich and the poor. And then underneath it, there's just two holes in a cemetery. Because actually, death levels us all. From what you come, you're born with nothing, if you like, and you go to nothing. People have started and finished great palaces and projects, but never got to enjoy them. There's a guy, we went to visit one in Germany with my sister, and he built this place that was supposed to look like the Palace of Versailles. It's amazing, absolutely amazing. But he only, he only visited there twice in his lifetime and then died. Spent all that money, spent all that effort, and actually never got to enjoy it. But Solomon knew it was better to be wise than foolish. Let's not make any mistake. He says it's better to have light than be in the dark. It's better to do those things. But he knew where life was going. The third annoyance was that somebody else would get what's left and hadn't earned it and might ruin it. That somebody else would eventually take over and ruin what he had. Do you know, Solomon's fears were proved true because Rehoboam, his son, immediately lost 10 tribes of Israel and so 10 twelfths of what he had. And from that moment, things were never the same again. So the conclusion Solomon comes to is, I hate life and saw it as chasing the wind. What a frightening conclusion to come to. But he didn't end his life, even in that moment. Why? Because he knew and believed in a God who had a bigger picture. Because he knew that God had the answers. He realises at the end of this passage, let's just read again, Ecclesiastes 2, verses 24 to 26. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? Do you know, Solomon says, I hated everything, I'm miserable, I've chased this, I've chased the other. And in the end he says... I need to enjoy what God's given me. That's the best way to be. I need to enjoy. So in some ways, out of the three things, he says pleasure is probably the best pursuit, but so long as it's pleasure in that God says he's good. Do you know, do you disagree with this statement? There's probably far more smiles and joy in the orphanages of Uganda than you see on a London tube chain on the business commute. Yeah? I say there's probably more smiles and joy on the streets in Durban, South Africa than there is in the banking palaces of London. Why? Because they're not chasing after the next pound. They're not chasing after stuff. They're not looking just to survive. They want the joy. They aren't trying to kill themselves to get rich or get more and more knowledge to feel they've arrived. They're simply enjoying what God has given to them. Do you know, a contented person with a little is better than an ambitious person trying to get a lot. That is what Solomon says here. And as we come to the end this morning, that isn't bad advice to enjoy what God does give and to find good in amongst the messiness of life. But that is only under the sun thinking. Three things to finish. Verses 10 to 11, I said, remember, he says, I denied myself nothing. I delighted my heart in these things and when I surveyed. Matthew 16, verses 24 to 27, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. So Jesus' answer was, it's not about denying yourself nothing, it's actually about denying yourself. 
It's about putting others first and putting God first. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Life isn't just about chasing pleasure. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet lose their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? What good is it to gain everything that there is around us yet lose out on eternity with Jesus? What good is it? That's what Jesus says in response to what Solomon's asking. Some of the stuff that we delight in will be good. Some of it will be very good. But my question to you is, is it God? Is it God? When he surveyed, everything was smoke. That reminded me of the hymn by Isaac Watts. What does that say? When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain... I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. You know, it's only when we put our life in the context of the cross and the creator that we can make sense of it all. It's only when we see the jigsaw of life that won't fit the pieces in without God. That's what Solomon's saying. The jigsaw of life, that last piece will only fit if that last piece or the first piece is God. Because actually he does make things straight. The rest of creation isn't asking the questions we're asking. You know, our dogs aren't searching for meaning. They're just searching for bones most of the time. But we are. But we need to look at it all with God. He has made it so that it only makes sense at all with him in it. He has created this life so it only makes sense with him at the centre. That's why people find it doesn't fit if they don't have God involved. Because he makes our paths straight. Saint Augustine said, Lord, you have made us for yourself and our hearts can find no rest until they find their rest in you. Do you know, when I survey caused controversy as a hymn, because it was one of the earliest hymns to look at God with a personal perspective, putting the cross front and centre as he looked at his own life. You know, the verses we've read today have the word I 28 times. 28 times it has the word I, 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 and more. That's the problem. I did this. I looked here. I tried that. Me, 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 me. Jesus said this, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be thrown in as a bonus. Seek first his kingdom. You know, there's nothing morally wrong with enlightenment, enjoyment or enrichment. They only become wrong if they get first place because self gets first place. But if God has first place, then all these other things should come in second, third or fourth place and fit in beautifully. We don't live for the gifts, but we live for the giver. But we still enjoy his gifts. That's what Solomon discovers. The prodigal son goes off in search of pleasure with loads of wealth and when he finds that dead end, what happens? What happens? He goes back home and there's dancing and drinking and eating. That's ironic, isn't it? He spends his life searching for fun and pleasure and life in drinking, eating and dancing and when actually he's found and realises he goes home, he's got drinking, eating and dancing. But the father is heart and centre of it. Yeah? That's not an accident. Nicodemus came to John in John chapter 3 and said, what's it all about? And Jesus says, you must be born again. In other words, start over. But start over with me. And this is a verse, and I finish with this. 
John chapter 3, verse 8. The wind blows wherever it pleases. Chasing after the wind? The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So Jesus says, catch the wind, but not the wind that blows the, the leaves around. Catch the wind that is the Holy Spirit, that is Father, Spirit, and Son. Jesus says, not the wind blowing over that Jerusalem rooftop, but the wind of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because only then will he start to make sense of life. This morning, you want to make sense of life? Start by catching the wind of God, the breath of God, something that is tangible, real, that will change and transform our lives. Lastly, Philippians 4. Paul says, I've discovered the secret of being content. He says this, Verse 11, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Here's a secret for you. I have learned to be content whatever. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. What is that secret? I can do all things through Christ. That's the answer to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Chase down the enlightenment, enrichment, enjoyment, all those things. But we need to chase down God. And he will pursue us back. Contentment doesn't come from the stuff. It comes from the Saviour. It comes from the Spirit. And this morning, it's on offer to all of us. When we say you can have joy, you can when we say you can have peace, you can. When we say you can have love, you can. How? Because Jesus promised it. Because he died and rose again for you. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you this morning for your word. And I thank you that so often we get ourselves in a muddle. We get ourselves in a mess. But you come right in and you can show us that even if we don't understand everything, we can still have a joy and a peace. Paul wrote those words in prison. And yet he realised the secret to contentment is I can do all things through Christ. Father God, this morning, if we've put Jesus to one side, if we've put God in a box that comes out on a Sunday, if we've said, Jesus, I love you, but then the rest of the week don't put our eyes on you. I pray, Lord, today you'll help us to sort that right, that we will start again, start afresh, that we'll see that you make the big jigsaw pieces fit that you make the way straight, that you make things work. Help us to lean on you and help us to not stop asking questions. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to finish our time with some worship that Marie's going to lead, but the prayer team will be at the back. I've witted on it a bit this morning. Sorry, I do apologise. But sometimes it's difficult to cut it down. You get carried away. But uh, if you want to be prayed for this morning, if you want to be prayed with this morning, then please Take advantage of it. Go now. You don't have to wait till we're singing. Go now. There's a team who wants to pray for you. If you don't know what it's all about, you just want someone to talk to you, go and speak to the prayer team. But the rest of us, we're just going to fix our eyes on Jesus. We're going to lift him higher as we come towards the end this morning. Thanks, Maria.